It is such a delight to be here today and uh, welcome wherever you're watching from. Um, this is a church that has actually invested so much into me over the years, um, both in terms of my personal walk, my personal faith. Um, I've been a Christian since I was six, um, and also in terms of my, um, my role within the prison service. So, um, you know, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to be able to come and give back to you today. And, and what really thrills my heart as well is to see that you are a church that is working into two prisons uh, locally within the area. So thank you for that. And that's actually how I started. I, I started um, as a volunteer with Prison Fellowship and, um, you know, I'd been uh, kind of invited into Maidstone Prison really by accident and, you know, my dad was going and he was the one with the invite, um, but as it so happened, they didn't have a worship leader that day. And so I think I must have been 17 at the time. I don't know what they were thinking. But they said, do you want to come in and lead worship? And um, it was such a profound moment because I was, you know, doing what I do and helping to lead the worship. And, and I think I was playing piano that day. And um, I went to the back to talk to the PA desk. And as I, we were chatting about the music levels and things like that, as I then walked away, I suddenly thought, oh, I think he must be a prisoner, you know, which was the PA guy. And um, right there, it just broke all of my own bias, my own, you know, misconceptions about who prisoners are, about what it means to be a prisoner um, in this country. And um, it really taught me a lesson, but it also made sure that I caught the bug. And really from that moment on, I led worship into prisons for the next three years, went away to university. And then when I came back from university, in a moment of pure vanity, um, to simply get out of the pouring rain, I dipped into the nearest door in the high street, um, which was the careers office. This is in Tunbridge. And, um, you know, I thought, well, since I'm in here, I'd better sit down and look like I'm actually legitimately here. And so I started to type in what I thought were cool jobs, you know, prison, police, army. But it was the prison one that as I um, kind of brought up this page about what the requirement would be, that the Holy Spirit just really met with me and I knew that this was a job I was going to apply for. I had confidence in applying for a graduate um, program, which there was only 20 spaces for. And so I took it home, I applied, and uh, I got one of the places. And then to my absolute delight at the time, when I went away to training college to be a prison officer, I ended up getting the cup for the best student. So yes, you are looking at the Aberford Road Cup winner. I know, I know. Thank you. That is appropriate. Um, so uh, there's just a couple of things that um, I want to share today. You know, we have had a really challenging season um, in the prison service post-COVID. Many of you will also be able to agree with me that this has been one of the most difficult times to lead well through. And still coming out of COVID, the prison service is um, down on um, staffing. So at my particular prison, we're operating most days well below 70% of the staffing figure that we should have. And when I don't have prison officers, I can't unlock the doors to let the men out to partake in the regime. And it's a real tension. Um, and yet I don't stand here with a message of defeat and despair. Quite the opposite. Um, I am an optimist by nature anyway. But I do want to bring a word of encouragement for those of you that already your interest has peaked. Because I know it's tough out there. 
but I have three things I just want to share. And really, to ground this all in, in the Bible, which um, you know, I believe every teaching session should be, um, I want to draw our attention to Colossians 3.23. You know, this has been a foundation of my whole career. And it just says this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Work willingly at whatever it is that God has called you to because he makes us all unique. He gives us our own abilities, but he is calling us to work as if we were working for him. And I thought as well, you might find it useful just to see a couple of photos of the prison where I work. Um, Woodhill, we're in Milton Keynes. We're now a Jubilee city. Thank you so much. Um, and within that, um, we have this um, fairly modern prison, 30 years old. Um, and one of the things that delighted me the first time I ever went to look round was how much greenery there was. The 10 years previously, I'd worked at Pentonville um, in Islington, and that's a very Victorian old school prison. So this is a real delight to me. And in the eight years that I've been there, I've tried to add to it. So you'll see during COVID, we got our rainbow colours out. Um, and uh, that is a lovely bit of the prison now. Whenever I can walk that way round to the wings, I always try and do it. Um, and more recently as well, we have planted an orchard with the Conservation Trust. And um, this is something I was really excited about. And I remember the day they told me it's planted, Governor. And I went out to find it and I couldn't find it. And I thought, how embarrassing. I'm the governor of the prison and I don't know my way around. And then I looked and I realized, oh, it's those twigs that are planted in. Um, and it really, again, made me think about the visual for the men that are serving such long sentences. They will be the ones, they are the ones that this is for, but they are the ones that will see the yield of that fruit, not necessarily me. Um, and so I love our orchard. And every year I am, am hoping to just see an apple, uh, not yet, but um, one day soon. Um, and when I was working at Pentonville, um, in this whole idea of work hard as if for the Lord, I remember clearly a day where um, I was driving through Highgate Village. I love that village. And I pulled to a stop um, at a red light and just happened to look to my left. And there was a road sweeper, not one of the ones in the automated buggy, but actually somebody with a broom. And he had his earphones on. And he was clearing the leaves. And it must have been autumn because there was a lot. And he was clearing them off the pavement. And then he was kind of clearing them off the curb. And then he was clearing them off the road. And then he was going under the cars. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing because it was so impactful as to how our attitude should be towards the workplace, towards whatever it is that we've been called to do, regardless of whether or not anyone is watching or who is watching. And, you know, being a woman in the prison service at times has been its own unique challenge. And I have to get centered into this idea that it doesn't matter what people think of me, it matters what God thinks of me. And so I will continue to do my best to be the best informed, skilled prison governor that I can be, the same as I was when I was a prison officer. But in amongst all of that is this understanding that I don't work for man, I work for God. So it's three things. The first one is this, a word of encouragement. Remember the strength of your call. Remember the strength of your call. And let's just kind of lay aside. When we say call, I do not mean career. 
This is not the strength of what I've been called to, ta-da. No. It's the idea that we are called to worship Him. Justin Welby said it best, our beloved Archbishop of Canterbury, when he said, God has called us to be great worshippers, not great leaders. God has called us to be worshippers, not great leaders. And when I first heard him say that, I was a bit indignant because I'm trying to be a great leader. But I stayed with that and I thought, it's absolutely right that if we are being true to the strength of our calling, then the calling is to be a worshipper. And our whole life takes on this culture of being a worshipper. The culture of heaven is of worship. Our culture that we bring into our workplace, into who we are, comes first from who we are as worshippers. And then secondly, into all of the kind of outworkings of that, whether that's a skill set or whether that is the way in which you have relationships with your colleagues. And when you have an attitude of that, it doesn't matter if you're in a high position or a low position because God will have you wherever he wants you to be. And I believe that in my calling, God has given me this grit and this resilience. People always tell me in the workplace, gosh, you've got so much resilience. Well, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Maybe they didn't see me crying in the toilets 20 minutes earlier. But in the eight years that I've been in Woodhill, we haven't had any accolades. You know, we, we aren't a high-performing prison. Every single day is a struggle. And some of you will relate to that. Some of you will relate to the idea of it doesn't matter what I do or I try, you know, I'm not gonna be up there. So what? The question is, are you doing the best that you can do? Are you working into the space that you've been called into? And it's been incredible, the people that I've met along the way. And there's one lad who I will never forget meeting in one of our ordinary segregation unit rounds. You know, so most of the time in the prisons in this country, we really want to build people into community. We risk assess that appropriately and people have a regime throughout the day where they can work, they can exercise together, they can just spend kind of community time because ultimately they are going to be released one day and we want to teach them how to be good active citizens. And sometimes we have to take them up, away, apart. We have to set them just aside and they go into our segregation units. And um, on one day I was doing the rounds and seeing all the guys in there. And when the officers opened the door to this one particular cell, there was a lad in there who was reading by the window, but in the dark. He didn't have the cell light on. And so just quick as a flash, I gave him the quick quip that my mum always used to give to me. Don't read in the dark, you'll strain your eyes. Who else has heard that? Right? So I said it. And what he replied was, if you were my mum, you would have beaten me. And I kind of held that all day. And I didn't really know what to do with it. Because it was this unique, privileged moment of serving into my calling and being invited into the most desperate brokenness. And you know, the, the, the brilliant thing about working for the prison service is that you get such free access into places that everybody else is kept out of. 
And occasionally I've been to visit other prisons where I don't have authority and therefore I don't have a set of keys. And it is a really troubling experience. I didn't like it. But you know, I get to meet these people. Who is it that's on your radar that you are meeting right now? that you are uniquely called to be able to minister into the lives of, that nobody else will get that access to. And this is the sad thing about social media in its bad bits, is that it makes us sometimes look at other people's lives and think, I wish I was like them. You know, if there's one message you hear today, then bring that to the altar because you are uniquely you. You have your own calling. Second thing I wanna say is prepare now. Prepare now. We remember the strength of our call and we also prepare now. What is it that you are in the position of, in the situation of right now that you are being prepared for the future? John Wooden says it best. He was a basketball coach, I think in the 40s. And he said, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. When opportunity lands in your lap, have you prepared Did you squander it or are you using it? And when I go through the tough ups and downs in my career, um, somebody wants really wise, I I went to uh, one of my previous vicars and just was talking to them honestly about the then um, line manager that I had and I was feeling really kind of quashed and crushed and not able to kind of be who I wanted to be. And I didn't really like him either. Um, if truth be told. And um, my vicar just said to me, you know, maybe God has called you to serve under this leader for now um, because he wants you to learn something. And it transformed my mindset. And I would have missed it. I would have liked to have missed it. It was the toughest eight years of my career to date. But I learned so, so much. And thank God for godly wisdom into my life you know, where you are working out there in the workforce and the workplace, you know, talk to each other, encourage each other, give these words of blessing and of um, opportunity to see. I I think one of the passages in scripture that I most frequently go back to, if not Daniel, um, is, is anything about King David. And I started to listen um, really to the Bible in the car simply because I didn't have another CD. And so I listened to that sort of chunk of Samuel through and through and through because the rest of the Bible was indoors. And so I kind of got to the end of the five books and kind of repeated. And something popped out to me so clearly because I was listening to it again and again. Um, And it was the opportunities that the Lord took or God took David through before he became king. And you know this, right? You know, he was a shepherd boy and then he was anointed and then you know, we think, oh, he's going to fast track to the throne. Not at all. He then had to serve under the current king. And then when he finally got his opportunity to lead a group of men, who were they? Well, listen to this. 1 Samuel 22. Soon his brothers and all his relatives joined him there. Then others began coming. Men who were in trouble, men who were in debt, men who were discontented. I mean, is that really the team that you dream of leading? You know, our family are the toughest critics often, aren't they? And then you've got the debt, the discontent, et cetera, et cetera. But that's where he grew. And by the time he got to the throne, he'd had all of this experience. Why? Because he didn't squander it. He used it. So prepare now. 
you may not get the opportunity later on unless you do. And I think there's a real call of obedience there as well because so much within the Bible isn't passive language. Don't be passive. This was such a mistake I made early on in my own life, passively waiting for the Lord to just kind of drop things onto me. And then as I started to look, I realized there's so much active language in the Bible. Put on, take up, fasten on, be alert. All of this is active language. Be active. And if you don't know where to start, start in the Word. Pick a Bible um, book and just listen to it. Read it. Do your own sort of little adventure. You know, for me, it's always leadership. For me, I'm hungry for anything about leadership, good or bad, because that will help me. Prepare now. Terry Waite. I heard Terry Waite speak once. It was such a privilege. And one of the things he said was that in his time in captivity, you know, again, a recurrent theme of my career, um, he was saying that um, what he called um, his sort of, um, let me just get this right, he called it the state of his inner being. And he talked about those years that he was in captivity. He was able, because he had memorized poetry, to be able to speak this out within his tiny little cell. And it made me question, what is the state of my inner being? How much scripture could I bring to mind? How much scripture is popping through my mind as I walk through those front doors of the prison? What about the sung worship? What are the songs that bubble up from my lips? Not because I'm in a, a, a sort of a, a, a group corporate setting like this, but because that's who I am. I am a worshiper first before everything else, and that includes sung worship, whether we can hold a tune or not, Right? It's the words, it's the heart. Start in the word. Have a think about where you're at with that. Prepare now, don't squander it. And the final thing is this. This has been something that has been uh, constant again through the 22 years I've been in the prison service. And it's that we must remember we are on the front line. Remember, we are on the front line. Friends, this is not a time of peace. We serve the Prince of Peace, but we are called to do battle. And I love that verse that says, um, Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, I mean, that's quite deep. It's quite dark. It's quite inconvenient. You know, it's quite non-PC to say. I mean, that's not the verse I quote as I'm going into work as the governor every day. But if it's not in our hearts somewhere reminding us, then we are skipping around in a battlefield. And I definitely don't want to do that. And I remember, um, you know, talking to a lady a couple of months ago who told me that she was at the Queen's funeral. She had this unique privilege to be almost on the front row um, at Windsor Castle as that coffin came past. And what she said to me was that because the, um, where the coffin was being carried, and it, as you remember, it had the crown on top, she was so enamored and so taken by the glittering of that crown that she has zero memory of the king and queen consort 
Charles and Camilla, going past her. She can't even recall seeing them because the crown had her intention. You know, it's easy to get distracted. It's also easy to miss something you're not looking for. And in the prison service, we do covert tests, not to trick people and make them look like a fool, but because we are trying to say to people, if you are not eyes open for it, you're likely to miss it. And so we do covert tests where we will have people put things like the circle that sort of says, this is a hole in the wall, you know, and see if somebody sees it, Um, you know, and other things that I won't go into from this platform. But, you know, we do that because we say, when you're not looking, it will happen. And my whole responsibility as a prison governor is to make sure that those um, who are category amen, it must be made impossible for them to escape. Now, interestingly, other bit of my job, which is on the back of my ID card, reminds me that my job is to look after them with humanity. And I tell that from many platforms now because I want you to know that when somebody puts on the uniform in this country as a prison officer, that is the level that we hold them to account to. We are are not the judge. We are not the jury. And that makes it so much easier for me when I'm looking after people who have in some instances done horrific things. But my job is to look after them with humanity and make sure they don't escape. (laughs) So we're on the front line. And for me on a Monday morning, that looks like praying offensive prayers. I oftentimes will use the different names of God in whatever I'm feeling in the emotion or the trial or the struggle of that day. Because that then means if I'm, if I'm you know, lacking money, we call him Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. If I'm feeling ill, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And there's some great kind of warrior language in that as well. Because you know, he is also the God who trains our hands for battle. Psalm 18, it is God who trains my hands for battle. My arm can bend a a bow of bronze. And you know, when you remember that you're on the front line, you more take the stance of a warrior. And we learn skills within the prison service. And I can remember for five years, I was part of what we call the tornado team. And these are kind of like the advanced people that would go in to deal with riots, to deal with um, situations. And um, I wanted to do it mainly because it was mainly the blokes. It was mainly the guys that were signing up. And I remember getting to this course and finding that I was one of three women in a group of about 200 men. And my courage failed me. But I got through the course and um, I, I remember that we were taught to kind of tuck in behind your shield. And one day I didn't tuck in well enough. And as the call for flack came um, and they started to, you know, the, the people who was all pretend, of course, on a training exercise, started to lob this flack at us and it hit me on the arm. And um, I felt like I just had a dead arm. And by the time I got back um, to the changing rooms and peeled off my boiler suit, my whole arm was black. You know, we were under attack and I did not effectively enough have the stance of a warrior in that moment. And boy, did I learn my lesson. How are you learning your lesson? What does that feel like on your Monday morning, your Tuesday afternoon? We have to take the posture of a warrior. Somebody reminded me um, before COVID when I was going through a difficult time that warriors are not just ceremonial guards. They are at times 
but they have a deeper purpose, which is to fight. We have to take that posture. And one of um, the things that I've started to work into over the last um, five or six years is living into the prophetic of my name. Um, I used to say that my parents prayed about uh, what they were going to call me. And then one time they actually told me, actually, we didn't pray about it. We just liked your name. Um, so it's an even better story now. So my name is Nicola Louise. And Nicola means victory. And I've always known that. But it wasn't until I'd been in the prison service quite a while that I looked up Louise and found that it means famous warrior. So I've got victory in my name and I've got warrior in my name. And you'd better believe that is an encouragement and it is a declaration every time I step into a situation where I feel overwhelmed. God has this beautifully kind way of going before us. We just need to tuck in behind where he is leading us to. And so every single day when I'm going into the prison, I'm trying to live that out in a meaningful, intentional way. And outside our car park, just as I get out of my car, go through this lane up to the great big prison gate, we have this huge eucalyptus tree. And it's one of the ones with the long leaves. And in the wind, it gets going, you know, and it really rustles and the sound is incredible. And this one time, um, I was in the middle of a really tricky situation and the wind was up and this tree was going and I was reminded that one of the names of the Lord is Ruach or that means wind of God, breath of God. And, and we sort of, it's synonymous with the Holy Spirit's breath. And I found myself looking at this eucalyptus tree and thinking, Lord, this is a visual reminder of your breath into this place your breath into the workplace, your breath into our communities, your breath into our families. And I was just like, Lord, yes, come Holy Spirit. And so I speak that over you today. It's a simple message. It's an encouragement that wherever you are, you need to keep going. Going as worshippers, Three times in my life, God has spoken to me most clearly about um, working in the service. And um, Mark 13, 13 is the most recent time that he has spoken to me. And I'm just gonna speak this out again because I want you to hear it. Stay with it. That's what's required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry, you'll be saved. Where are you being called to stay where are you being called maybe to move on, but to stay in that attitude of being a worshiper first, of being called and being prepared for the front line? What is your front line? We want to pray for you. And Archie and Sam are going to come up and join me. What is the situation? Where is your heart tingling now as I finish with the message where is it that you are going to pick up and run the race? Where is it that you are going to keep going? Because I can't be you. I'm uniquely called to where I am right now. Where is it that you are uniquely called to? Thank you, Nikki. Should we, should we stand to, to pray?